Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Coming up on this week's show, we have our preview of this weekend's must-watch games, our thoughts about Netflix's Wrexham documentary, news about another price hike from a streaming service, what we love about Atta Football's coverage of women's soccer, plus we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnayer, who's uh, recovering after a long political uh, campaign and uh, probably catching up on a, on a bunch of soccer. Uh, before we get to Kartik, uh, if you are new to the World Soccer Talk podcast, we are your weekly guide to getting the best out of soccer viewing options from around the world. We talk about streaming, we talk about television, we talk about commentators, we talk about uh, recommended matches to watch. But from this past weekend, Kartik, or this past week, actually, with uh, the international break happening too, a lot of soccer to choose from, from around the world, both at the club level and at the, the national team level. But what for you, first of all, was your your favorite match that you watched uh, this past week? Um, well, I'm not sure. I, I think it might actually be, as crazy as this sounds, the uh, ACC Women's, uh, 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 Women's Championship which was a match between Florida State and North Carolina that was on uh, ESPN2 or ESPNU. It was on actually a, a terrestrial channel, believe it or not, and it was the familiar announcing duo of Jen Hildreth and Julie Foudy. And it's the way Florida State plays that really excites me, although I, can't, I can never accustom myself to college rules of, of the clock stopping and counting down and that sort of thing. Uh, so, and that's the way the rules were in MLS the first few years, but it's something that, that probably dampens it for me. So, uh, in terms of probably the best match I watched, it was a United City match, also a women's match on Saturday morning U.S. time. But uh, I, I'm frustrated by Manchester City's performance, uh, blowing a two-goal lead in the second half of that match. And, and seemingly, again, having problems playing out of the back, which has been a common theme going back to the community shield where they lost to Chelsea. Uh, but, but that's a, a nice segue. And we will talk about it a little later in the show, but at the football uh, really just got, I think killing it with, with, with the job they're doing it, fantastic stuff they're producing for uh, the, uh, for the WSL for us audiences. The timing of that match was perfect. Uh, this past Saturday morning, it's I mean, usually a time that many of us wake up and 
switch on the television and see what's on. And there it was, Man United against Man City, uh, commentated uh, by Jonathan Pierce, uh, a name that many of us will be familiar with, or at least a, a voice that uh, we'll be familiar with. And then Faye White uh, doing the co-commentary. And um, it was a great game to watch, Kartik. I, I, I was watching it uh, with my wife, and she was really impressed by... Uh, the skill level and Tobin Heath's goal right before uh, halftime. And and in the second half, I mean, the second half was a completely different game. United uh, came back to, to, to tie it 2-2. And uh, I was really impressed by the production of, of this whole this whole show. I mean, the whole game. And also, I, I also liked how they had um, Fanatis as uh, kind of working as a co-brand. So you got Atta Football bringing you the match. Uh, acquiring the the rights and then working with NBCSN to show this game, and then Fanatis, who who are owned or actually I guess funded by the same company that uh, that the same venture capitalist that is funding Atta Football is funding Fanatis, so they're working in conjunction, and it was a great game to watch. I, I was really thumbs up and and really slick slick production. Um, better than a lot of, you mean top level professional leagues. So, as far as the women's super league, I was really impressed by the production. Yeah, and and I think it's important, and I mentioned this on a previous show, for fans of the men's game to actually watch these matches. They'll be stunned, I think, by the technical ability and the uh, the tactical acumen of what goes on in the WSL. I, I, I have I wasn't kidding when I said I thought the Chelsea Man City match. Which I think may have taken place during the last international break, uh, and was also not a football match streamed on or shown uh, on NBCSN. Was uh, from my perspective the best kind of technical and tactical match I had watched in in a, in a long time, including men's matches. Uh, they, there's there's not the pace and and maybe power of of, of the Premier League or Bundesliga uh, at the back and forth, but there is I think a certain I would argue maybe a higher technical level on a consistent basis in in the WSL, and it doesn't have maybe the athleticism of NWSL, the U.S. top women's flight league. But again, I think kind of the, the, the tactical sense, uh, Ameri- and we've heard this critique before, right? American uh, women's players sometimes rely too much on athleticism. I, I would say in Europe, you're seeing a much more tactical side to the game. So I- I'm loving it. I'm enjoying watching that league. And, and I watch uh, a match or two a week on the FA player, as I-, I think I've mentioned previously as well. It's interesting, too, because uh, Ian Dark, for the longest time, has been really the voice of women's soccer. I, I guess JP Della Camera also, uh, but but um, Ian Dark on any of the major uh, U.S. women's national team games that are on ESPN or ESPN Two, it's been Ian Dark that's really been the, kind of the voice that's very so, so familiar to us. Uh, same thing with Fox when um, for women's, you mean whether it's a women's World Cup or for U.S. women's national team games, JP Della Camera for many many years has been the voice that we kind of uh, think of when we think women's soccer. Jonathan Pierce could be it for the the Women's Super League. I mean, it's really an accomplished uh, commentator who's been around since the Capital Gold days in London back in the the nineties. Um, has been around around doing I mean tons of games. You name it, uh, he's done it, and uh, seems to be really really well versed on the women's game. Also talked about it during the game, talking about some of his trips to the United States on holiday and and uh, kind of tying that in. So he's also speaking to, as Ian Dark does brilliantly, 
speaking to the audience, I mean, talking to them on a one-to-one basis. Uh, both Ian Dark and Jonathan Pierce doing a great job at that. Kartik, my, my favorite match of this past week, and there was so much to choose from. I went really kind of around the world in terms of watching matches uh, from the UEFA Nations League and from the uh, the World Cup qualifiers, from the Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers, which I really enjoyed. I thought those were really interesting to watch. My favorite was uh, Ecuador uh, beating Colombia 6-1. And this was a game that was uh, commentated by Eric Krakauer uh, on pay-per-view. Um, production by being sports, but Colombia looks just woeful at this point. And this is, you I mean, going through an extremely bad, bad run of form um, that by their standards, and Ecuador just flying, just absolutely flying in terms of just the the, the persistent attacking. Uh, just a really at this point in time, just a really exciting team to watch. And um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, actually, overall, I think I watched most of the the World Cup qualifiers from the Conmebol region. I shouldn't be surprised, but all these games were almost all of them were exceptional, really technical, uh, hard fought games. I mean, really going at it. I mean, it just kind of uh, blood and thunder. Just, just. I mean, no one was holding back anything. And uh, some controversial VAR calls. Um, and overall, just uh, it's been a, a joy to watch. Yes, those were on pay-per-view. But uh, for anyone who caught those games, I think most of those fans would have been probably satisfied with, with the level of quality that they did see. And Kartik, uh, before we talk about your recommended game for this weekend in terms of what you want to watch... Or what you recommend the, the listeners to watch? I have to say, I, I know we talked about the UEFA Nations League a few weeks ago, and you were like, "What's the point of this?" You mean, and, and I kind of came back and said, "Like, well, it's com- it's complicated, but there is it is a path to something. It, it, there is a reason they're playing this, and, and probably the best example of that is from this week. From the benefit to the UEFA Nations League is really that it offers World Cup playoff places to the best two Nations League group winners that do not finish in the top two of their World Cup qualifying groups. So just as one example, um, this gives a country like Wales, who finished uh, top of their UEFA Nations League group by beating Finland on Wednesday. It gives them a backdoor entry to try to qualify for the 2022 World Cup. If they don't reach it through the normal qualification process, they will have an opportunity to go into a playoff and to try to, I mean, basically be a, a step away from qualifying for the World Cup. But, but is that a good thing? Because I, uh, I'm thrilled Scotland has qualified for a major tournament. But Scotland had that uh, that backdoor entry because they they won their nations group uh, league group, so they knew going into Euro qualifying that they had a second chance, and they bombed out of Euro qualifying. They were horrible. In qualifying, I mean, they I, they may have finished last in their group, in fact. Well, that, and uh, but then, that, but, but that's, but that's then different though. This second chance, so then it makes well, that's the country, different. That, well, it makes them less competitive in qualifying. Is my point? Yeah, because but, they knew they had another route in potentially. Well, well the Serbia route, and, and this is complicated because there's so many different competitions happening at once. But the the path that they went through to beat Serbia to get into um, Euro 2020 was the Euro 2020 playoffs. So it had, had nothing to do with the UEFA Nations League. That was their qualification process for Euro 2020. And uh, what was it? The 
the best four. But, but they were in the playoffs because of the Nations League. They weren't in the playoffs because of where they finished in their Euro qualifying group. I don't know about that. I think I thought no, they, that, t- they took true, the four, actually, the four best yeah, third-place teams. No, I don't think that's the case with uh, Scotland and, or with one or two others. Um, I'm pretty sure they mixed and matched them. Yeah, and, and that's the thing about the UEFA Nations League and the Euro 2020 element. World Cup qualifying, too, is kind of tied in with this, too, is even to both Kartik and I, I mean, and probably listeners too, it's confusing. You mean, and, and I think that's, that's part of it too, is once we go through a whole cycle of the UEFA Nations League, which right now, as of Wednesday, we finish the group stage. Um, so I think as it proceeds, it, it becomes easier to understand the concept of it. Um, but, but, but for me personally, I mean, I, mean, I, I have a, a bone or a dog in this race with Wales having a chance now to qualify for the 2022 World Cup. Um, Scotland make it into the Euros by beating Serbia. Um, you mean, they, they, I, 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 we'll, we'll have to get back to, back to the listeners about this one, Kartik, because, or, or listeners, if you want to so kind we of were talk about right. this. So they did finish third in their qualifying group. Uh, Cyprus, Kazakhstan, San Marino finished below them. Uh, however, they did advance, not because they finished third, but because they won their Nations League group. So, for example, okay. in another group, Bosnia finished fourth in their group. Greece finished third, but it was actually Bosnia that advanced to the playoffs because uh, they were they won their Nations League group. So, at the end of the day, though, I think it it makes these what, what are basically previously were friendlies, right? Kind of just dead yeah. rubbers, which were international breaks devoid of any any passion any 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 really kind of uh, reason to watch these games uh it's turned these games into yeah they're, they're still still not super exciting uh now if you're a fan of england and you're watching iceland against england you see the performance and you see the loss against belgium you are watching those games probably not as intently as a a qualifier or, or certainly not uh, as intently as, as a Euros or a World Cup, but you're watching them, I would think, more intently than a friendly, just a kind of a, I don't know, a Poland against England friendly where there's nothing in that game that matters. That was really interesting. So watching how England fans looked at the Nations League, uh, there was a camp who was saying, uh, exactly what uh, you were saying. Well, they they look at it more more or less more than a friendly, but less than uh, a normal qualifier or the Euros coming up. And there were others who were taking it deadly seriously because uh, there was this uh, prospect of of uh, because they're competitive matches, you 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 falling down the world rankings. Now, so this is where League A is really important. Uh, you fall down the world rankings, and potentially you're in a different pot for the next set of qualifiers. So that's, uh, you know, and that's what uh, uh, Germany is facing, right? Because they've, they've effectively bombed out of the Nations League now twice. But uh, I, the one thing I do appreciate is it gave us some some I- interesting matchups, right? I mean, I, I, I actually enjoyed uh, the Poland-Netherlands the Poland, uh, the, 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 the Poland, uh, match mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, broadcast on, e- on ESPN2. But uh, so it matches up countries that are of a, of a like ability. I like that. I just don't know that it's uh, it's necessarily necessary, in my opinion, in, in the COVID era. 
I think you're forcing these games, and now you're having three these countries. So Wales, for example, played three times in this international break. They have players then that return to their clubs in a condensed fixture uh, schedule for their clubs, and I think players are going to break down in addition to the public health concerns. So that that was really my uh, comment about the Nations League last time, is I wouldn't hold it at all, given this circumstance. And given players need a break, they're playing too many matches, uh, unless they're not on clubs that are competing in Europe, right? But if they are, then they're playing too many matches. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean, for example, with some of these countries that are playing three games, usually one of those games is a friendly. So Wales, again, as as an example, play in the USA... Uh, the vast majority of the starters are not playing that game. They're, there's... Don't tell the U.S. fans that. Well, but we, we talked about that last <laughs> week, but it's true. Like yeah. getting a draw against the Wales B team, <laughs> right? Or even a, or, or even a C team. I mean, the, the, I mean, the, those right. are players that that are fringe players that usually would not be starting. I mean, would not be starting game. They, they, they're not starting. Um, but 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 that's. I mean, yeah. I mean, the tough thing though, Kartik. I mean, you're right. Is that. This weekend, we're back in action starting Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, big games in the European leagues um, and Major League Soccer, of course. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you've got um, Champions League and Europa League. So, I mean, in terms of rotation, I mean, players, they're coming, they're finishing, which actually usually the... um, in the international break by Tuesday, Tuesday is the last day usually, and then Wednesday they're flying back. They're, they're flying back to Europe or wherever, they're, they're, you mean the United States or wherever, so they have an extra day. This time, the games, a lot of the European games will play on Wednesday. They fly back, don't get back till Thursday, have a rest day, and then some of these teams are playing on, on, on Saturday. I mean, whether it's Man United, uh, you, mean, you, you name it, Barcelona, Real Madrid... And they're trying to get get that game on, in on the Saturday, so they have a recovery day on the the Sunday, and then maybe training on, or actually traveling on the Monday for a game that they're playing perhaps on Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, it's it's um, it's difficult, very very difficult for these players, and and then hopefully you see rotation. Hopefully you don't see Messi starting on on Saturday, uh, or maybe you will. I, yeah. It's it's very difficult, and um, I think I think in many ways too. I think the Premier League and other leagues um, saying agreeing to having the well, actually the Championship in in England agreeing to have five subs uh, for games makes a difference, right? Because then at least you've got an opportunity to kind of uh, freshen up the squad and and have more players on the bench. And I believe yeah. the Premier League still hasn't. Uh, I think they're still sticking with the three for now. Hopefully they'll they'll increase that uh, to five for that reason. Kartik, and actually one more thing before we move on to um, your recommended game for this weekend. Any thoughts on USA against Panama? Not really. I mean, it was uh, it was a game for, on a neutral site with uh, a pretty decent set of U.S. players in Panama. Panama is a spent force, right? So they've got a lot of players in their 30s, and then they've got a lot of young players who are trying to bet in. I, I don't take much from it. I mean, I guess it shows the U.S. can beat up on a CONCACAF opponent, which then um, begs the question, when the U.S. gets to qualifying, are they going to 
are they going to play an entirely young squad like this, plus Tim Ream? Uh, you, you need some veteran leadership, or are they going to try and mix some guys, uh, some somewhat older players like like the uh, uh, Zardeses, et cetera, back into the team? Uh, Jordan Morris, uh, it's hard to believe we're talking about Jordan Morris as an older player now, but uh, <laughs> compared to this these sets of players. Yeah, but, I mean, in terms of the coverage, it was pretty straightforward. Um, I... Uh, I think obviously uh, we're not um, we're not surprised by the young man from Valencia. We've watched him in La Liga. Uh, then now the big question is whether the U.S. can somehow convince him to play for the U.S. rather than playing for England. If I were him, if I were the young man, I'd keep my uh, options open, and uh, and maybe you know talk to Gareth Southgate, but not accept the call up necessarily. Probably go play in the U21s this summer for England. That that that's still a youth level. You keep your options open to play for the U.S. down the road. Uh, if I'm uh, if I'm Yunus Musa, that's what I do. The interesting thing about this, though, Kartik, is that uh, with because of COVID, right? We have two U.S. squads. We have the European-based squad, and we have the Major League Soccer-based squad or the U.S.-based squad. And we're looking at uh, the next friendly is in December, and uh, I think December sixteenth, I think, or the nineteenth, and and that will be against uh, El Salvador. Uh, a game to be played in the U.S., a game that will feature most, most, most definitely uh, all MLS players or all North American players. You know, they were playing in North America with their clubs. So, so to me, I look at the the North American squad. Are there many players, if any, that you would? plug a pull from that and put into this youthful squad that yes it was panama that they beat 6-2 that, that, that's a great confidence builder you can see that they've got huge potential and huge opportunities there but when you look at the the, the north american based squad i mean brad guzan maybe but then you've got zach stefan who could uh, do just as well and probably stefan's on on, on on the up and guzan's yeah. kind of trailing off after a poor season with atlanta other players, you mean Michael Bradley, who's uh, definitely not getting any younger, Josie Altador, who's injury prone, um, you mean Jesse Zardes, who is hot and cold and seems to be cold mostly with the well, US? Well, he's cold in, front of score, in terms of scoring goals, but I think, again, there are a lot of American fans who don't understand uh, that you need players that are complete players playing uh, at the, at, at, as a number nine. And he does a lot of things. This is why, you know, they, uh, the, there are people who love Klinsman and hate Burhalter or vice versa. The, one of the few things Klinsman and Burhalter have agreed on is the value of that guy. Okay. Uh, he got so many caps under Klinsman and people would complain and assume that uh, when Burhalter came in, he'd be out of the picture and he's getting so many caps under Burhalter. So I, I, I think, Zardes is a very valuable player. He runs the channels better than most American players. He finds uh, pockets of space, which uh, some of the less intelligent uh, soccer IQ U.S. players aren't able to do. Maybe he's not a good finisher, but he does a lot more than... you know, this is the goes back to the old English argument about Emil Heskey, right? They used to think he was terrible because he didn't score goals. But it's funny. Every striker wanted to play with him. Rooney wanted to play with him. Owen wanted to play with him. Midfielders like Gerrard wanted to play with him because he did a job. And I think that's Zardes. Um, so I would say Zardes is on that list. And I think probably Jordan Morris still adds uh, some value in terms of pace and uh, ability on the wing. You could play him centrally, but you can also play him out wide. Uh, that would be about 
he, oh, and uh, I think Aaron Long as a central defender, right? I'm not in love with Miazga. So I think that that would be another guy I would consider. But other than that, yeah, you're pretty much right. I mean, Reggie Cannon now has moved to Europe. He was another MLS guy I liked a lot. Uh, maybe uh, Daniel Aronson, although I think he's moving to Europe too, right? Um, yeah, to in Germany. This, yeah, yeah in, in the January window. So, yeah, there are not many left in, in, in the U.S. that I would pick. Yeah, ho- hopefully there won't be any clicks, though, right? Hopefully that, you mean, in the January uh, camp uh, cupcake that there'll be the European click and then there's the, the, the American click and they don't gel. Hopefully these guys will gel yeah. together. Because it could set up one of those things where it's like, hey, we think we're, we're a better team. We're, we're I mean, playing higher level. We should be I mean, the t- building the team around us rather than you guys. Um, I, I think we're a long way off on, on that. But uh, it, it should be an interesting thing to watch. Now, now Kartik- it's going to be very interesting because I don't think any of these guys, I guess maybe Johnny because he's playing in Brazil and aren't they on break in January? Maybe no. Maybe they start in late January. None of these guys that were on this team. Uh, Johnny was the only one I was thinking. By the way, he was the not, only non-European based player, right? He, he uh, and well, and, and Sebastian Leggett. Uh, Leggett is in MLS, and uh, Johnny is in uh, Brazil. But those were the only two non-European based players uh, in this uh, in this team. Yeah, it'll be a completely different team, won't it? Other than Leggett, uh, who is a useful player. Sebastian Leggett is a fantastic player. For those who don't know, he started his career at West Ham, uh, got into a a bad car accident in London when he was, uh, I still think, maybe 16 or 17, and that aborted his career in England. But uh, he has had constant injuries since then, which is why we've never consistently seen him on the national team. So I think Burhalter was taking advantage of the fact that he was fit uh, to call him in for this camp, even though he didn't call in any other MLS guys. Now, Kartik, looking ahead to this weekend, uh, what's your recommendation for the must-see match uh, for listeners to watch this weekend? Oh, there's no question about it. I, I think it's uh, not even a d- discussion. The Napoli-Milan match, uh, which will be on uh, ESPN and ESPN Deportes and ESPN Plus uh, at 2.45 p.m. on Sunday, Eastern Time, is the match of the week, and it's the biggest match in Europe, and it's also on a major channel in the U.S. And you're going to get to uh, you're going to get to I think get enjoy some of the wraparound coverage, maybe not, maybe not on ESPN, but on ESPN Plus that uh, ESPN has now given for bigger matches the last year with uh, the Dan Thomas Studio, and then obviously it'll be Mark Donaldson and Matteo Benetti calling the match. Uh, we've got we've we've heard a lot of Janus. Uh, uh, Mikalik, who's mm-hmm. one of my favorites lately, too. I would love if he, he would contribute to this uh, broadcast also. Uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to that match. Well, Kartik, there's, there's no question. It's not even a question. Uh, the match this weekend that uh, everyone should be watching, uh, whether you're, no matter where you are in Europe, the big match is Atleti against Barcelona. Not not oh, Napoli true. against yeah. Milan. You got Atleti against Barcelona on That's Saturday. Three. Who wants to watch Barcelona at this point? Well, 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 that's the thing, though, too. I mean, to me, it's such an interesting storyline story because you had Messi, who really came alive uh, for Argentina this past, what, 10 days in the World Cup qualifiers, looked, uh, to, to borrow a line from Paul Pogba, looked like a, a, a breath of fresh air, was was playing, it was a really key role uh, for Argentina, looked like he's loving playing for for Argentina again. You've got a Barcelona squad that is not even in the top four. They're, they're I don't know, sixth or seventh in place in La Liga. 
Atleti, who haven't lost a game in several matches. And you've got players coming back from World Cup qualifiers. You've got um, the Luis Suarez and, and, and of course, Messi and, and many other players. Serginho Dest, you've got uh, Conrad. You've got a lot of players that could slot into this side. At the same time, you've got Real Madrid, who are stumbling, who lost a couple of weeks ago against, against Valencia 4-1. So there's an opportunity here to um, to go ahead and for Barcelona to kind of basically make a statement uh, that they're back. This is kind of a, a different team, perhaps, um, under uh, Ronald Koeman against uh, an Atleti side who are very hard to break down. So it was, for me, it was a toss-up between this one and uh, Villarreal against Real Madrid. Uh, Villarreal in second place in La Liga. And Real Madrid, too, going through a, t- a tough time in terms of their... They're nowhere near the the, the best, and uh, Zidane making a lot of bringing a lot of youth players into the, into his squad. So that's my match for the weekend. Is on Saturday at three p.m. Eastern on Bean Sports and Bean Sports in Espanol, which is also available through Fubo TV and um, Fanatis. And then Kartik, as you mentioned, uh, Napoli against Milan, two forty-five on Sunday Eastern time, and ESPN ESPN Deportes. And uh, also Fubo TV, Sling Orange, etc. All right, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Not a lot this week, but still, there's uh, some important uh, news to share. Yeah, so ESPN Plus has, has surpassed the 10 million subscriber mark, uh, which is a pretty big, uh, big number, uh, and great for the leagues that are on ESPN Plus. Uh, Keep in mind that includes people who were rolled over from the old ESPN Insider and then also people who have subscribed for the Hulu Disney Plus ESPN Plus bundle. But still a pretty big number, encouraging number. Yeah, the interesting thing here for me is that uh, over so over 10 million, as you mentioned, the number of cable subscribers has dropped to, I believe it's about 70, 75 million, between 75 and 78 million people. So it wasn't that long ago, probably a couple of years ago, that that number on cable would have been about 90 million. So for a uh, ESPN, for example, or an ESPN2 would have been in 90 million homes, now down to between 75 and 78 million homes. So it's going to reach a time probably in the next few years where the number of uh, subscribers to streaming services are going to be very close to the number of uh, cable subscribers. Um, that time hasn't come yet, but uh, as we can see from ESPN Plus and all the, all the leagues, all the competitions, all the ESPN FC, uh, all the games and, and seems to be most of the leagues moving there. They are a powerhouse, and I think at this point, there's really no stopping them. They keep on adding more and more content. Speaking of adding more content, uh, in this case, it's it's Hulu plus live TV who have a ton of content. I mean, they have everything from the Hulu library as well as your cable stations that you're familiar with and I mean, all, all your soccer-related uh, channels. But they're increasing their price to uh, $65 a month from $55. So the, that price change will go into effect on d- December 18th and will affect both new and current customers. And it's going to be the same price as YouTube TV, who uh, recently also increased their price by $10. Now, Kartik, I'm going to put you on, on the spot here. Um, this is an article I'm going to work on in the next few weeks. But what if you had a guess, what's the average uh, cost of a cable TV subscription. How much on average are people paying in the United States 
for cable TV? What would you say that number is? Uh, $110 a month. That's what I thought, right? And being a, previously being a cable TV subscriber and getting it through my HOA, I think I was paying about the same amount of money, about $110. The average price, this is just average. This is not even the high point. The average price that people are paying in the United States for cable TV uh, as of March 2020, the latest study, $215 per month. Which, which to me just blows me away. Um, so, so even though Hulu increasing their price, Hulu Plus Live TV increasing it by ten dollars to sixty five dollars a month, with that you get all those cable TV channels. Um, the only thing else you need, really, on top of that, is your internet. And then, if you want to go above and beyond that and get Netflix or ESPN Plus or other things, you can always add those on as add ons um, separately. But um, but that puts things into perspective. I, I was just blown away by by that two hundred and fifteen dollar number. That's uh, pretty scary, uh, in fact. Last but not least, Kartik, I'm not sure how much how closely you've been following this story, but um, Wrexham FC, the uh, the non league club uh, based in North Wales, have been taken over by two very famous Hollywood stars, uh, Ryan Reynolds and uh, Rob McElhenney. From um, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, and uh, they are planning. So they're going to put inject two million pounds into the club. Um, they are also planning at the same time to do a, do- a documentary, a-, a Netflix series, which sounds like it could be similar to like Sunderland Till I Die, uh, and just trying to chart the story of Wrexham FC from the takeover onwards. What what are your thoughts on this one, Kartik? Are you? I, I'm not sure how closely you've been following this one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm aware of it. I, I, look, I never heard of this guy before. This shows maybe how out of pop culture I am. Uh, I'd never heard of him until this takeover attempt. But I kind of, I kind of like the concept because I think it, it's going to be really cool to take a look at a Welsh club in an English league in the English football system that uh, has uh, fallen out of the football league and have this kind of behind the scenes look and it's kind of a cool concept to buy a club with that in mind clubs are always looking for investors now they've gotten a big investor uh based on that premise and look again as i've said before i manchester city till i die or whatever it was called uh with pep Guardiola. i know all these coaching gurus loved it because oh you got to see pep's philosophy to me it was a bore they won every match right there was no adversity at all in the documentary waste of time um and I'm a Manchester City fan. I would say largely the same thing about the Juventus documentary, other than the little Chesney versus Buffon uh, goalkeeper controversy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the Spurs documentary was much more interesting to me. The Sunderland documentaries have been more interesting to me. I I keep raving, you know this, Chris, for 10 years about the QPR documentary that was made uh, after the takeover by uh, Bernie Ecclestone and, and Flavio Bertori. I think if you're going to profile a football club, you're going to profile one that has uh, it faces adversity and is uh, a- a- and right after a takeover. So the Salford City uh, series I thought was quite good. It got kind of a drag after a couple seasons, right? Mm-hmm. But um, especially since they kept buying their way up the divisions, um, which seemed preordained considering who the uh, investors were, right? Uh, but I-, I think it's going to be kind of cool. I'm looking forward to it. Again, I didn't know anything about them before they bought Wrexham or before these uh, whispers started maybe two weeks ago. But I, I'm actually pretty uh, uh, jazzed up uh, for whatever 
term you want to use. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, so so two, so two famous actors uh, definitely uh, have a comedic edge to both of them. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, star of like Deadpool. And Rob, who's done a lot of comedy, is a really, really talented guy. And, and, and both of them have fallen in love with the the Wrexham story. They, they've said to the club that they're uh, not going to change the name. They're not going to move the stadium. They're not going to change anything. Uh, they are really interested in uh, putting the money into the club and trying to change their fortunes. And Wrexham is a very, is a, a very historic club. Uh, their stadium, the racecourse ground, I believe, is the either the first or second oldest um, stadium in the world for uh, that, that that has played uh, international soccer. So Wales has played there since the late eighteen hundreds, and it's either the first or second. But but it's a historic ground. Um, part of my family live in Wrexham. They are so excited about this. Uh, oftentimes, when I go to uh, go to England and Wales, that's the area I hang out at. Uh, so, for me personally, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not a Wrexham fan, but for me personally, I'm, I have a lot of interest in this too. But I think the Netflix documentary, which is going to be a portion of this, this is not going to be the main thing, the main reason that they're taking over the club. But this will be interesting too because you mentioned QPR, I mean, you mentioned Sunderland, you mentioned um, the Man City documentary, uh, you didn't mention the being Liverpool or the Spurs one. There's so many documentaries, right? You mentioned the Juventus one. Most of them are, are about major clubs or, in Sunderland's case, relegation, right? Going from the Premiership to uh, the Championship and that, then down to to, uh, to League, League One, etc., this yeah. could be an opportunity to see a club and really focus in on the promotion of, of a club that could, you mean, from the non-league um, in England, um, in the English league, uh, move up the system, which which you know and I know, and most of the listeners know, is very difficult. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. This could be a long-running series about uh, the trials and tribulations of trying to see a club move up through the, the pyramid Um I guess the Swansea documentary uh, from a Jack to a King is probably one of the few that really kind of focuses on that promotion. I guess yeah, the, Q- the yeah. QPR one, the two Kartik, when it started, they were in the championship before they they moved to the, the Premier League? Yeah, it never showed them in the Premier League. It basically chronicled their four years to try and get out, four, year, four years of their history to try and get out of the championship. And they finally got out of the championship at the end of the documentary in the fourth year. So uh, who knows if it had taken them five years or six years, maybe they would have uh, kept it going. But yeah, it, it never showed them in the Premier League. It showed them effectively trying to push for promotion uh, three straight years and fail and then uh, go up the, the fourth year. Yeah, so um, so that documentary from Netflix uh, about Wrexham, don't expect it anytime soon because I don't think they've started filming. Or if they have started filming, it probably was this week. And uh, that one will be high on our list, I think, for a lot of fans to watch. Uh, I'm really intrigued by this one. TV ratings, Kartik, uh, not a bunch uh, to talk about, but we do have some interesting ones um, from this past weekend. Belgium against England on ESPN on Sunday uh, from 2.30 to 4.30 Eastern Time. With it being on ESPN, uh, 215,000 viewers watched this one, plus another 159,000 people watched it on Tudu NA. And then um, also that same afternoon, you had Wales against Ireland, which was the earlier kickoff on Tudu NA on a Sunday, 127,000 viewers, which is 
to me, a pretty remarkable number for, I mean, Wales and Ireland, maybe a lot of people tuning in to watch Gareth Bale, perhaps, but a really decent number there for a UEFA Nations League number. And then you had Wales against USA. I want to get your thoughts on this one. On FS1, on Thursday night, actually Thursday afternoon, right? It was a, a mid-afternoon game, so during office hours, 2.45 to 4.45 Eastern time. FS1, USA is back. First game in nine months. 205,000 people tuned in to watch this one. What does this say, Kartik? Uh I don't know what it says because it was an it was a Thursday afternoon. We have to compare it to Europa League ratings, really, to have a good picture. Yeah. And plus, we don't have the two DNA numbers, so uh, I'm not gonna. I, I know the temptation would be the bash and say no one's interested in the men's national team. That's possible. It's very likely. It's a very bad number, but I don't. I, I'm not going to make that assumption when I don't have any uh, context or anything to compare it to. Good point, good point. But based on just what we know, which is the 205,000 viewers on FS1 for USA on a Thursday afternoon, uh, we don't have the 2-2-NA number, you're correct. But to me, it it just shows that, yes, it's during office hours, but there's a lot of people working from home. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people, I mean, if you really wanted to make a sacrifice to watch this game, to figure out a way to watch it, you probably could find a way. But I don't know, to me, I just was surprised by how low this number was uh, looking at FS1 in isolation. And maybe perhaps people didn't know about it, perhaps maybe kind of your your casual fans. Yeah, um, probably it, most people didn't know about it. Yeah, I mean, and, and it... I mean, the soccer media in this country seems to think everybody listens to them and they live in, their, they live in a vacuum. I think most people didn't know this game was going on. Yeah, among, fact, among the casuals. Fact, I will tell you, I know that there was a very big U.S. men's national team fan that I had to remind about the match. And uh, this person is an all-sports fan, but was thinking and was off from work or was working from home and and was thinking that they were going to watch either some uh, college football highlights or uh, a Nations League match on ESPN+. They didn't didn't realize the U.S. was playing. So uh, that's just one person. That's anecdotal. But you might be right. Maybe people just didn't know the game was going on, which is a failure in promotion on the part of the U.S. Soccer Federation, right? Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, the worrying thing is for U.S. soccer is that um, the next games of really any meaning, really any meaning, are next summer for for the Gold Cup. Um, and then you've got the qualification round for the World Cup uh, that starts uh, for U.S. would be, I think, August or September. So you're almost, uh, you mean, almost a year away from any really major meaningful games. Um, and even then, there's no guarantee that the fans are going to swarm and tune into these games. So they're starting back again at the bottom as far as that morale and really have to build that audience back. And, and I think a lot of these young players uh, have the potential to really win the hearts and minds and get people excited again uh but they've got a long way to go all right uh this listener mailbag this week we've got some great feedback this week first is naz and naz says i have two questions for you number one i had nbc sports gold before they um uh, i had nbc sports gold before where they used to simulcast the sky sports news uh, sometime in the morning. It seems Peacock doesn't have it. Could you please help me if there is any other source to watch or listen to it live? And um, I still think Peacock does show Sky Sports News now and again. Like, for example, I know that uh, NBCSN on weekdays, I think it's between 11.30 and noon, will have um, Sky Sports News on for half an hour. 
Um, but it is sporadic. So if there's other things happening that same week, uh, they don't show it. They don't really advertise it much. Um, but those, uh, that coverage is still on, but not like it was before back in the day. As far as watching or listening to it live, um, I believe actually the website uh, skysportsnews.com I think has some clips. They'll they'll take clips of anything interesting that happens and then go ahead and post that on the website. And usually that's not blocked, so you can you can watch that. That's about it, I think. Um, number two, uh, Naz says, "Do you guys have an app for World Soccer Talk? I would be so happy to check the soccer schedules through an app on my phone." Rather than going into your website every time, I won't say that it isn't worth it as you have so much of other contents on your website, but an app is just so convenient for smartphones. I used to use the Live Soccer TV app on my phone previously, but they had a recent upgrade and the new app is just a mess. As addicted to the podcast as ever, take care and best wishes. Naz and listeners, I've got some good news. We have an app that's in the works. So uh, we've been testing this for the last uh, few weeks and it's been in development. It's been a big secret. I haven't told anyone about it. Um, I think other than Eukartic, maybe. And even that was kind of uh, pretty hush-hush. Um, but between now and the end of the year, we hope to have it released. And it looks awesome. It looks really good. And I think it is going to make uh, our lives easier uh, for soccer fans to, to be able to figure out which games are on, which channels, at what time, uh, on what day, etc. So we're really excited about that, but we're not ready to announce anything uh, quite yet. But So hang in there, Naz. Azza says, uh, as for Taylor Twelman, he always sounds like a person bragging about something. ESPN should have assigned Casey Keller alongside Derek Ray for a De Classica uh, a couple of weeks ago. Mr. Keller actually played in, in the Bundesliga for uh, Gladbach for two years as a goalkeeper. He knows the league better than Taylor and is better at commentary and analysis. John Champion and Casey Keller would be a better pair for commentary than John and Taylor. And I think that's the thing about commentary oftentimes is uh, we all have our likes and dislikes. We all have our preferences and uh, we all have our favorites. So, I mean, a lot of people don't like Taylor's style. There's a lot of people that do. And you have some in the middle that are kind of like, uh, eh, I'm not so sure about it. Or, or, or maybe he's okay. Next up is Don Dickerson. Don says, I hope beyond hope that NBC loses the next rights to the Premier League and CBS gets the Premier League or to a lesser extent ESPN Plus. Reason being, I know CBS will make everything available on CBS All Access and not on expensive cable. I fear ESPN would do exactly what NBC is doing and make the big matchups only available on ESPN2. Which, um, conjecture there, but, but I mean... I, I wouldn't be surprised if ESPN did pick up the rights to the Premier League that everything would be on uh, ESPN Plus. And, and, yeah. and that would be the thing that, at that point, anyone who's on the fence about ESPN Plus who hasn't signed up for it already, you mean, at six bucks a month with all the content that they have, it's hard to re resist it. Um, I think at that point, it's going to be, you mean, if you're not subscribing to ESPN Plus to watch the Premier League and every match on there, then, then are you a soccer fan? You mean, are you, I mean, for six bucks a month, I mean, that price per day, price per game, I mean, it's just, it's just pennies, uh, basically. 
Yeah, I, I think that there's also a possibility that they'll pick up the rights and they'll show the the weekday games, right? The Monday afternoon game, if there's uh, a Monday afternoon game in that in that package, a regular Monday afternoon game, and the Friday afternoon games that seem to be popping up more and more. I think those they might show on television. Other than that, uh, no, it'll it'll all be on ESPN Plus. JP says the thought of a Super League being good for domestic leagues is a pipe dream. Sure, they may have more competitive uh, with the bigger bigger clubs gone, but how viable will the remaining league be without the draw of those larger clubs and their star players? Television contracts would be almost non-existent, lower revenues detracting what those clubs could spend on players. Creating a downward spiral into the league is on the verge of collapse. Be careful what you wish for. This applies to any league, not just soccer. We hate having a few big market teams seemingly dominate most of the time but without them there's not enough interest from the smaller markets to drive viewership and demand demand high tv contracts and make everyone profitable so great maybe wolves could compete for a league title if the big six left but virtually no one would notice or even care the equivalent of a one aa or whatever it's called now college football title or nit championship for college basketball I agree with that, Kartik. I, th- I think the traditionalists would probably say, I mean, good riddance, and th- let's get rid of the uh, uh, the teams that would be playing in the European Super League and not allow them to play in a domestic league. Um, but it really would, it wouldn't kill the game, but it would drastically change the game. Uh, for purists like you, yourself and myself and, and probably many others, we would be the minority. I think we would be the ones watching the league and seeing Wolves battle against a, I mean, West Ham United or Leeds United going for the title, and really seeing the purity of that. While the majority of fans would be the Man United fans, the the Chelsea fans, the Liverpool fans, watching them play, and uh, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, whoever it may be. And that would be a completely different uh, experience, a completely different league. And that, but that would be the one that'd be on television all the time, right? That would be the one that'd be featured. Uh, that would be the one that would have commercials all over it. And that's the one that probably would succeed. The long silence from Kartik. I, I, I guess you agree, Kartik, or, or are you just depressed about this one? Yeah, I'm just kind of uh, uh, depressed about the debate, right? I mean, um, uh, uh, well, hold on, I got, I got some more Super League comments. Yes, Page yeah. says a Super League would be detrimental to, to to domestic leagues, but it'd be the mother of cash cows for the big teams who could uh, who would no longer need to share the TV spoils. Granted, if the leagues were to allow this, I can only imagine they they demand a significant cut as they tra- transition to unglorified feeder leagues. Ultimately, the health of domestic football is irrelevant to those with large resources. It's all about the money. FSG would love to be to make even more money than they currently are. Don't get me wrong, FSG saved Liverpool from the Hicks Gillette disaster. However, their covenant is with their investors, not the status of domestic football in England. 
And then one more uh, comment about uh, the Super League uh, from Turfit. He says, uh, what effects will Brexit have on England teams? Second, looking at just the European countries, the EU's 25% larger in population than the US and has 27 member states, not including Eng- England. MLS is, is expected to be at 30 teams in 2023. Why not have a EU Super League of around 40 teams, no teams from England? Uh, first off, the, the UEFA and you, you, the EU are different, uh, have different uh, jurisdictions. So UEFA includes Kazakhstan, which is nowhere near being in the EU, right? And includes Serbia, that's not in the EU, Russia, that's not in the EU, Ukraine, that's not in the EU. So uh, you can't have an EU league. I think that that would be uh, uh, something FIFA would probably not approve. Uh, it, it's... Uh, uh, you either have a league that adheres to kind of a um, a confederation, which would be, or, or a, a championship that adheres to a confederation, or adheres to an, to nation state boundaries. And I don't think the EU is considered a nation state, uh, at least my interpretation of it. I you know, lawyers could argue that. So I, I don't think I think the idea of having an EU uh, Super League is a non-starter. You're either going to have to include non-EU nations that are part of uh, UEFA. Uh, actually, uh, Norway's not in EU in the EU also, right? right. They're, they're more there are a lot of nations that aren't in the Switzerland. EU. Uh, right. Switzerland, that's another one, right? Uh, that actually is, is is quite good at international football. Uh, they're always in the uh, uh, making the knockout stages of the Euros or the World Cup. So yep. uh, yeah, there there is uh, and they're League A of the of the uh, uh, Nations League, so they're they're obviously ranked high in the world too. So yeah, I don't think you can do it on EU boundaries. It would have to be within UEFA. Yeah, I, I still think this whole Super League idea is a smokescreen, and it's it's a power play to try to get these clubs, these massive clubs, not just in England, also in Spain, also in, in, in Germany, well, maybe less so in Germany, but Italy, etc., to try to get more power, to get more leverage, to get find ways to generate more revenue, even if it's down to having TV deals, which is what it comes down to at the end of the day. That's where the, the number one revenue source is from, is having that rather than being shared among, say, in England, all 20 Premier League clubs uh, sharing the the majority of that money and then awarding money on merit based on where those clubs land in that table, finishing that table, is figuring out a way, I mean, maybe the top six get a larger share of that TV revenue. Also with the Champions League, pushing UEFA, trying to get them to agree to making changes to solidify the bigger clubs, maybe being seeded, uh, or guaranteed places in the Champions League, no matter what. I mean, I'm sure that they'll they'll prob- probably try and throw everything in the kitchen sink um, to see what sticks. But that that I think is the move. That it, that is the power play here. Is that um, they just want more power, ultimately more money. Uh, and I think in many ways they'd be hesitant to actually go through with the European Super League idea, uh, especially if the domestic leagues fight back but then again the domestic leagues are not going to fight back because they need those big clubs just as much as um, the clubs need those leagues too so it ultimately might end up being just the champions league that is um, the pivots that the changes that evolves uh, because of this all right just a few more comments to go Uh, next up uh, this is a really good one from bill reese Bill says, regarding the MLS TV ratings ahead of the playoffs, I haven't heard anyone mention an important fact about uh, this year's playoffs. 
last year, MLS finished the playoffs before Liga MX's playoffs even began. This year, both will run concurrently. Both competitions begin this weekend. Both the MLS Cup final and the Liga MX final second leg will be played on the same weekend. Uh, Chris and Kartik, do you see this creating even, even oh, pardon me, even further conflict for MLS as they struggle to get more eyeballs on their premier competition? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how much it'll affect it. The number is is pretty low anyway for some of these MLS matches. Uh, but yeah, I, that, that, that's certainly not going to help. I think. I think for this weekend, it's not. It's not going to be so bad because of the the, the times of kickoffs. So. Uh, the way that, like, for example, MLS has two games on Friday. Uh, they're not going to interfere with the Liga MX playoffs. And then Saturday's uh, playoffs in MLS are in the afternoon. The Liga MX playoffs are in the evening. And I think Sunday, there might be a little bit of overlap Sunday where the, that uh, evening game uh, may overlap. Or maybe not. Actually, the Liga MX game kicks off later that night, I think uh, 10 o'clock at night or something like that. So th- there is going to be some overlap. Um, if anything, it's probably more of a competition for news headlines as far as attention. Uh, and it may not necessarily come down to viewership, at least for this weekend. Now, yeah, MLS Cup final on the same weekend as the Liga MX final second leg. Um, that is competition there, too. And you're going you're gonna to split that audience a little bit there, too, for sure. But I think for the most part, I think Liga MX fans or fans of Mexican soccer are going to gravitate to that league. Uh, to that final, and then fans of MLS, um, if it's their team, they'll watch it, right? If actually neutrals or or fans of clubs that are not in the final, they'll probably watch it to a lesser extent. Um, But this year, I think the final is on Big Fox, so there's an opportunity for that mainstream audience to come in. All right, uh, just a few more to go. Bram Weiser says, uh, I was listening to last week's episode and I thought Kartik misspoke when describing how some recent sports TV rights changed networks. He said that the Open Championship golf rights went to NBC two years early after being with ESPN. I think Kartik was confusing uh, different tournaments and different telecasters. This was not exactly synonymous uh, to what happened with the Champions League rights, but was close. Uh, the Open Championship is the formal name of the British Open, but there was an issue about US TV rights recently with the US Open Golf Championships, a different major. Then there was ESPN, um, uh, wasn't the US Open's rights holder, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So he goes into a little bit more depth in terms of uh, talking about the golf tournaments. Kartik, um, what's your response to that one? I wasn't talking about the U.S. Open at all. I, I realized that happened this year, and I think we may have talked about it on a previous podcast when Fox uh, opted out of the remainder of their contract. I was talking specifically about the Open Championship. Uh, Royal and Ancient uh, is, is the, is the uh, who puts on the Open or the British Open, as it's known in the U.S. It's called the Open Championship everywhere else. I don't know why the Americans have to uh, stick a name <laughs> because they want, don't want it to take precedence over their own Open, uh, which is where I think some of the confusion here comes in about U.S. Open versus the Open. So, um, yes, and I will admit colloquially I have referred to the U.S. Open, our Open in the U.S., as the Open in the past. But it, when I was referring to this, specifically the Open Championship is what Americans call the British Open. Of course, it's one of those things, too, that uh, NBC coining the term uh, Championship Sunday for the very last day of the Premier League season, uh, coming up with that championship name, 
even though it's confusing, right, for soccer fans, because you've got the English Championship, which is the, the, the second di- uh, <laughs> right. division. You've got the USL Championship now, which was yep. came, came later on. Um, it's and, and and even the word the championship. I mean, it's just a very confusing term. So I think yes, I mean. NBC trying to make that final day of the season meaningful, trying and, to make it into it, something, and it hardly ever is. Because I was very Americanized in my thinking, I used to refer to our Open, the U.S. Open, as the Open, and then the Open as the British Open. Now it's the opposite. I refer to the uh, U.S. Open as the U.S. Open, and I refer to the, quote, British Open as the Open. So I've actually changed my vernacular through the years as I've gotten more kind of internationalized in my or anglicized even in my thinking. Yeah, you'll even hear some uh, some old timer English soccer fans or British soccer fans saying that, say, Liverpool won the championship, and what that means is that they won the Premier League title or they won the first division title, actually first division title. Uh, even though in today's verbiage, uh, that that again adds a lot of uh, complications. Okay, what are you talking about? You're talking about the, you mean the second tier, the, the EFL championship, or it's confusing. What a mess. <laughs> All right. Last but not not, uh, not least, uh, Raymond Roscoe says, I like watching ESPN FC, but I wish they did a better job of covering the Americas. Now that uh, they're not restricted by TV time, you would think that they'd have more experts from the Americas. This last week really shows just how Eurocentric the show really is. They had a plethora of experts throughout Europe talking about European football uh, internationals, and yet they only had one South American expert, and they dedicated everything to Argentina and Messi. What about the other teams of the Americas? Kartik, I think he's got a p- good point there, right? I mean, it's um, I mean, ESPN doesn't have the rights to these games. Uh, these games are, are massively important. Um, I mean, I would say the World Cup qualifiers are more important at this stage than the UEFA Nations League games. Um, these were you mean high end games featuring Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Peru, all the teams from South America. This is a big deal. Um but I guess in a way though too, they're probably thinking, okay, well, uh Tudo NA is gonna cover that in more detail. Maybe Telemundo will will cover it, maybe being sports in Espanol will will cover it. Um that that's my thoughts. But that that's that's sh- that shouldn't be an excuse. That shouldn't be a reason why they're really not covering it in much detail. Yeah, I uh I, I guess they're very Eurocentric, right? I mean, that's uh, because those are the leagues they cover. But that you're right that they they've typically in the past covered South American qualifiers a little more. Uh, but that was before the Nations League, right? The last uh, the last time we had South American qualifiers in the run up to the 18 World Cup, there was no UEFA Nations League, and uh, in fact, the UEFA. Uh, qualifiers for for Euros and everything. There were it seems to be as many on Fox, right, as on ESPN at that time. Now I think they're all in on covering uh, Nations League and even uh, Euro, Euro qualifying. There, there were uh, I think all those games were on ESPN or ESPN Plus or watch ESPN. Now that I think about it, so I think they're actually now in 2020 for um, much further along than in 16 and 17 in terms of their Eurification of, of, of even their international portfolio. Right. So um, that's probably, that probably explains it. They used to, uh, I think who they used to, I mean, they'd have Alejandro Moreno on uh, to talk a little bit about this stuff. Uh, and he's always on the show, but I, I'm thinking they brought in some other outsiders uh, to talk about, 
South America in those days. Now, yeah, even the, the conversations about the U.S. and Mexico seem to be pretty limited on that show. Um, it, yeah. it seems to be very, very Euro, Eurocentric, whether it's European leagues or whether it's uh, European qualifiers. The thing I will say that does differentiate it from a lot of other shows in, in English languages, uh, English language programs tend to be very Premier League and British centric. Uh, ESPN FC is not that at all. They, they cover Spain, uh, Italy and Germany as much as they cover England, uh, maybe France a little less than those four. But of course, uh, they have the rights to the Bundesliga and Serie A. So if they have it. it they're invested in promoting it. I guess when the show started, now that I think back, it was very Premier League heavy then. And it's just gradually, as ESPN's picked up these rights, uh, Nations League, uh, uh, UEFA qualifiers, uh, Serie A, and the Bundesliga have become kind of more diverse in its, in its flavors. I think it's and, a- and of course, Dan Thomas is a former Real Madrid uh, uh, TV presenter, so right. he has an expertise in La Liga. So he, it was always more La Liga was mixed in than those other leagues. But now it's very diverse in terms of Europe. But yeah, they're probably they're not covering other things as as much as they used to. I, I will agree with that. Yeah, it, it must be a conscious decision. I mean, part of it is time, right? I mean, part of it is they'd have to have a two-hour show. Um, it goes into detail about all the different leagues, and and then okay, what about the Africa Cup of Nations? I mean, I mean there were some really good games happening um, in in that continent uh, during the past week or so. And it, I guess the other thing too about this is that uh, Tim Vickery, Tim Vickery is somebody that you would probably think, okay, he'd be an expert to have on television um, on ESPN FC talking about the games, the qualifiers, and and he writes for ESPN.com. But maybe he's contractually, maybe he's doing work for T, uh, Global TV or some, some of the uh, TV stations uh, in South America. But uh, yeah, room for improvement, definitely. We here at World Soccer Talk try to be more well-rounded, try to talk about I mean, all the different things we watch. There's, we still can't cover everything because we'd be going on for another hour or two. Um, but we try to be kind of multicultural or, or open to great soccer from around the world, whatever it may be. I think the African qualifiers and African tournaments, they probably do cover disproportionately compared to the uh, Latin American ones now that I think about it, because I think uh, there's some interest there. There's a lot of of uh, stars in Europe are African. Uh, but yeah, the South American, they used to cover better, Raymond, uh, honestly. It, it's it's uh, this go-around, they haven't. It may be also access to highlights. I mean, I'll admit, because I haven't wanted to uh, do pay-per-view, I, I've not. Uh, now, uh, that having been said, I poo-pooed the Nations League, and I had no idea until just before we taped this that Germany lost to Spain 6-0. Yeah. I, really, I had no idea that the game had even taken place. I uh, do get alerts for every goal that takes place in South American qualifiers in every qualifying match because I'm not watching them and I figure I have to know. And so I'm not getting the clips, but my phone is buzzing. And during that Ecuador Colombia game, <laughs> it was yeah. buzzing every five minutes. It felt like, so uh, yeah, so I'm, I am keeping up with those qualifiers, even though I'm not watching them. Uh, Nations league, not as much. It's incredible how, how bad, how poor Germany looks. I mean, it, it looks like a team that's, devoid of inspiration is um is just not playing for the manager for the coach at all and um even even the coach looks just like he doesn't care um yogi low on, on the sidelines um but in that 24-hour spell you had i mean the u.s i watched the u.s panama game 6-2 spain against germany i watched that one 6-0 and spain were absolutely on fire 
And then, of course, uh, Ecuador against Colombia, 6-1. I mean, it, you had over, what, over 20 goals uh, from three games. It was just... Uh, Incredible! I'm incredible to watch in terms of entertainment there, which is which is rare for an international break. Yeah, no, I'm going to actually say since I've uh, knocked the Nations League, I will say that the semifinals really intrigued me because you've got uh, Spain and Italy, whose styles are completely different. We know about that rivalry. We even know about the rivalry between the leagues, right? And and uh, two Southern European countries, and then you've got the two Benelux countries, or two of the three Benelux countries, right? Luxembourg's mm-hmm. never going to be uh, a factor, but you've got Belgium, who. Um, Gosh, you know, you think they're going to have to win something. I agree with Taylor Twelman's sentiment that he's been expressing, uh, I think, in every match he's called that I've seen recently of Nations League. Even if Belgium's not playing, he starts talking about Belgium and they got to win. They got to win this time. That, that, that generation, it, it, it's kind of time is up. And I agree. And then this, this kind of uh, uh, exciting. Oh, no, sorry. The Netherlands didn't make the uh, semifinals. Who's the other country that made it? Mm, I'm not sure. I am not sure, to be honest with I you. I forgot. It was uh, Italy, Spain. Well, Italy, Spain, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking. Oh, it must be France, right? It has to right. be France or Portugal. Yep. So France, France. Um, obviously, is, uh, is exciting to watch. If France were to play Belgium, I think there's some unfinished business there because the general feeling now would be three years later, right? This, this is going to happen in uh, October 2021, and who knows what happens in the Euros over the summer. But the general sentiment... France won the World Cup, and people have forgotten this now. The general sentiment was that Belgium really outplayed them in the semifinals mm-hmm. and lost. And I think Roberto Martinez in particular would love another crack at France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely uh, a derby there, kind of uh, neighboring countries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, listeners, so we want you to have your say. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground in this podcast, uh, talking about football and soccer from around the world, uh, talking about television coverage, talking about commentators, production, etc., as well as streaming news. But uh, let us know what questions, what observations uh, you have. We'd love to read those out on air. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on the mothership, which is at worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, um, so for this weekend, you're picking Napoli against AC Milan. Yep. I'm picking the uh, Atleti uh, against Barcelona. Uh, Leeds against Arsenal is another one that I was thinking about, just... Um, We've been in love with Leeds, but there's definitely vulnerabilities there as far as, uh, I mean, they've gotten a couple couple of thrashings. It's my my view right now. I mean, but that's the uh, thing, though, too. I mean, that should be a game that Arsenal should have the advantage in based on how Leeds have been playing. So, so to me, actually, I think this will be a close one, and it could it could uh, swing back and forth, kind of a three-two type of game. With Leeds, you can almost guarantee goals, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying Arsenal won't win. I just don't have no particular interest in watching them play. And I would say the same thing about Manchester City and Liverpool right now. Those teams don't entertain me. Leeds does. Aston Villa does. Uh, Southampton does in terms of the Premier League. So it's funny. I, I mean, I think in Serie A, the most entertaining teams are the best teams, uh, including Atalanta. In Bundesliga, the most entertaining teams are the best teams. Uh, in uh, La Liga, not necessarily. I mean, uh, there are there are some teams that are very entertaining that are not the best teams. And then in the Premier League, it's teams you wouldn't consider to be top teams, uh, even though I, I have both Villa and Southampton are near the top of the table right now. Uh, the more entertaining teams, since we're talking about media and television and wanting to watch something, to me, the more entertaining teams are the teams not at, uh, 
generally uh, that you would consider the top teams in, in England. I mean, of the top teams in England, to me, the most entertaining team is, uh, is Leicester. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're not considered a top team either by some people. I mean, I, I have no right. interest in watching. Uh, uh, I have a rooting interest in Man City, but beyond that, I wouldn't want to watch them. Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal. I have no interest in watching those teams. And uh, Spurs, I have a little bit of interest in watching uh, more than the other top teams, but less than the Southamptons and, and Leeds and Villas. Well, that's interesting that you say that, though, too, Kartik, because it does talk about uh, kind of that European Super League concept and, and about those big teams going on to play the other big teams, right? And then the smaller teams maybe uh, staying in the domestic leagues and, and being more competitive there. Um, I, I think, again, it's the majority of people would probably would be interested in seeing Liverpool against Leicester and Spurs against Man City and... Uh, uh, by Munich against Werder Bremen this weekend in, in, in those types of games and, and kind of gravitate to those big clubs, the ones that they have a, a burning passion for. And um, part of it could be that, I mean, they might have a story about how they fell in love with that club, but oftentimes it's the big clubs that have more, uh, have a bigger reach. So sometimes it could be in terms of just playing friendlies around the world. Uh, sometimes it could be that they're on television more. Sometimes it could be that, uh, you know I mean, they run into fans of that club and, and start talking about the love of Manchester United as one example. But it's probably, other than like a couple of weeks ago, which I ran into a guy at Walmart who was wearing a Bournemouth shirt that I, I completely, I was like, wow, that's that's really abstract. I would never expect to see someone at Walmart wearing a Bournemouth shirt, a home shirt. Uh, it does happen now and again, but it's, it's, it's I mean, you see Man United shirts, you mean, no matter where you go. Um, but that, that is, I mean, they definitely have a lot of power, which goes back to the whole European Super League, uh, uh, idea. Um, this is a debate for another time too, probably this will be a continuing debate for future weeks. So listeners, don't forget, you can always listen to the World Soccer Talk, uh, podcast every Thursday. And, uh, also you can catch Kartik, um, on Twitter at KKFLA737. And you can catch me at World Soccer Talk. We've got some exciting news coming up. We've got uh, the app, which we kind of gave a little bit of a uh, uh, kind of a hush-hush secret about. But we have some other exciting announcements coming soon, too, between now and the end of the year that we're really, really uh, uh, pumped for. So thank you for listening. Uh, if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik heading into another weekend after a long international break. Uh, soccer from around the world what should they do enjoy your football a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com